0: Hey beautiful teachers, I'm Nicola Canton from Vibrant Music Teaching. Welcome to the show that's about you. This podcast gives you a sneak peek into the lives and businesses of private music studio teachers so that you can share in their successes, learn from their mistakes, and feel part of a global community that's dedicated to sharing music with others. Today, we're talking to Stephen Nance, a musician, writer, and piano teacher in Oregon. Stephen jumped headfirst into teaching before realizing how much work is involved, an approach I think many of us, including myself, can relate to. In this interview, there are so many lessons about self-acceptance, being who you are, and running your own race. You're going to love it. If you want more from Stephen, go look up their album, Look at the Harlequins on Spotify. That's Look at the Harlequins on Spotify. I think you'll love that too. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for doing this. We like to get to know our guests with a little game, of course. So could you tell me two lies about yourself and one thing that's true? And I'll try to guess which one is which.
1: Okay, um, I have a master's in music education, uh, I have an iguana, and I have a 42-year-old parrot named Fred.
0: Okay, that's a tricky one. I think I'm going to rule out the first one, but I'm stuck between the two second ones. I think I'm going to say that you have an iguana. Did I get no, it right? No, I,
1: <laughs> I have a 42-year-old parrot named Fred.
0: Oh, wow. He's 42.
1: Forty-two. Yeah, he hatched in nineteen seventy-nine. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh, that's amazing! Yeah, did amazing. you inherit him from someone? Did you have him that whole time?
1: No, I did not have him that whole time. In the he family, old. he's older than me. I um he his person his former person had to go into an assisted living facility, and so he went into the the parrot foster care system, um, and I ended up with him that way a couple years ago
0: gosh and does he talk that will be everyone's question
1: he talks a little bit he he says sometimes he yells something that sounds like noodle um but mostly he he says hello and sometimes he just kind of chatters and he says hi Fred
0: oh that's nice he greets himself
1: (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) it it would be we've thought about maybe telling people that he says hi friend because then that would be sweet but (laughs)
0: <laughs> but it would be a lie. It I would don't be li- want to lie to friends.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so that's a little bit about maybe your personal life or your home life. So um, I want to get to know you as a teacher a little bit more. So I want you to imagine that you've been given a billboard space in your town and it's free, which is amazing. And it's going to advertise you as a teacher just who you are but you only get to put three words on it. It's going to have your contact information and they've already set up the picture. So what three words are you going to choose to represent you as a teacher?
1: I think I would say curious, engaging, and collaborative.
0: Mm, Great words. Can you tell me more about why you chose those?
1: I think part of what I want to convey is that is that I am not on another level, you know, above the students and that we're in this together Mm -hmm. and that we can figure out how to customize things to work for them and that, and that they can be open with me about what they want and what they're feeling throughout the process of learning. Um, and yeah, I think, I think just making them know that I'm open and and that it isn't extremely formal.
0: Yes, right. And that it's not the old stuffy stereotype of a piano teacher, right? It's trying to kind of go against that.
1: Yeah. And if that's what they're looking for, then they should look elsewhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. So can you tell us about your musical upbringing then? Was it with the stuffy old fashioned piano teacher or what was it like?
1: It was pretty stuffy. It was, um, I, my teacher had been my mom's teacher. So she was, and and my mom said that, sh- that this woman was old, even when she was a kid. And so she was, uh, she seemed ancient to me and she, she had taught my mom how to play organ too. So Ooh. she was, she was very, she seemed very serious to me. And, um, and I just remember going into her house and it feeling so dreary (laughs) and and dark and so that's been stuff that i've thought about a lot in my own teaching is like what does this space feel like but um but yeah so it was very stuffy for several years um and then i can't remember exactly what happened but um maybe she retired but then i switched to this jazz pianist who was really engaging and I just got so excited at that point. Um, I had been, I had been excited before. I think the biggest excitement was before I started lessons originally. And then once I switched to the new teacher, um, because I feel like then my creativity was engaged again um, in the way that it was before starting lessons, like the wanting to explore and um, play things that were exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, for the first teacher then, were you a good practicer? Did you practice?
1: I it's hard to even remember at this point cuz I was I was 6 or 7 when I started, and I think that I think that I did practice cuz I remember getting stickers and things, but I I think that it was kind of I imagine that it felt kind of isolating and and a little uninspired. You know, just It was very much a turn the page situation Mm -hmm. where you finish, you move on, you finish, you move on and just endlessly just going forward through books without anything deviating from the course, I guess. Um, And so I think I did practice, but once I got with the new teacher, I practiced constantly. She had a knack for finding pieces that I would be really excited to work on. And I feel like that was her greatest strength as a teacher. I think that Um, you know, sometimes if she gave me something that I wasn't as excited to work on, then maybe the next week when I came back, not having worked on it, she'd find me something that I would be into, Mm. which I think, uh, in hindsight, sometimes I maybe wish that she would have pushed me to do things outside my comfort zone, um, or exposed me to a wider range of repertoire, but I do think she got me to practice. So, (laughs) so I think it was worth it for that
0: yeah it's a delicate balance isn't it like with that student imagining you receiving yourself as a student back yeah you, you haven't practiced that piece and she knows that if she gives you something in a different style you're going to practice it but how much do we push against it and and try and expand the genre so is there anything else that you wish had been included in your lessons that you felt you missed out on
1: Definitely, looking back, yes. Uh, and again, it, it's hard to say what would I have enjoyed at the time. Um, but now I'm like, I wish that all of the gaps in my knowledge had been filled. And you know, in say music theory and classical repertoire, I just was not. I had no. I wasn't exposed to it in the way that I could have been. And I think that I just didn't know that there was so much great repertoire out there. And so as an adult, I've gotten really into playing classical music, but, um, but yeah, I just had no idea how much fun it could be. And I think that um, I wish that had been a part of uh, my lessons. And, and of course, games and things, you know, off the bench activities, uh, that would have been nice. I mean, things have changed so much, at least for a lot of Piano lessons, so, in, us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for some of us, for the ones that I'm paying attention to, <laughs> yes. yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. So then, from student to teacher, how did you get into teaching yourself?
1: So i I am a singer songwriter and and writer, uh, and piano teaching seemed like a good way to, I guess, do something that I already had experienced it well you know i had music experience i didn't have teaching experience but i thought oh i could i could probably teach lessons and um and it would allow me to have a flexible schedule that would allow for for touring and for working on new creative projects and of course the reality it ended up being that teaching is a ton of work and and, <laughs> and is such a learning curve and it's a huge time investment um, to get started and to keep learning. And it's really changed my life in ways that I didn't expect, I would say, um, in terms of the commitment. And of course, some of that has to do with the pandemic. It's like when that started, I was no longer a touring musician. and. So I started teaching more, and then now I haven't gotten back into touring. But now I have so many students that I'm like, I don't even know how this will fit in the same way. You know, it's going to look different. Um, Yeah. But it's but it's also but I'm also making more money (laughs) than I was as a touring musician. So there's that too.
0: Right. And do you want to get back out touring? Like, do you feel a lack?
1: Yeah, I mean. I love performing, and I think I think that I might do it a little more selectively now. You know, I feel less of the urge to throw myself all over the place trying to, you know, like, quote-unquote, make it, but, um, and, yeah, I think with the income from piano teaching, it feels like, oh, you know, maybe I can just do music the way that I want to do it and not worry about reaching some sort of like i don't know perceived standard of of like having made it
0: yeah not chase some idea of what it was supposed to look like but actually just
1: right
0: craft something that feels like a good balance to you or feels like the right career mix yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah Mm -hmm. so i might i might do it more selectively going forward. Of course, right now I'm like, I don't even know when that will start. So
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't know what, when you'll get to yeah. select from different options.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Oh. Can you tell me about a student that changed something about how you teach or the way you run your business?
1: Mm. I I can think of several examples that, that um, have changed the way I teach. I'm trying to think of uh of the ones that I can be vague enough about that <laughs> that they'll be appropriate um for public uh like discussion um there was one student who I was teaching for quite a while I'm still teaching her and I think we started when she was 5 and the switch to zoom was pretty hard she was she was 6 at that time 6 or 7 and Um, just, it often felt like, like nothing was getting done during lessons. And, and I didn't have parents there. Um, because we hadn't had parents there in person, you know, it was just me and her. And so it, I didn't realize how much (laughs) a parent needed to be there for, for her. And I know that that isn't always the case. You don't. You know, for some students, it works really well to have a parent there. For others, it's the total opposite. Um, but after months of trying to make it work, I finally got the parents to be there. I don't know why I didn't just ask to begin with, <laughs> I think it just, it didn't occur to me completely, but now I'm, it helped me to realize that sometimes that can make all the difference, um, especially maybe with online lessons, just cause it, when they're in their home, there's so much that they can get distracted by because um, you you have no control over their environment. And, you know, if there are cats and dogs running through and, and little siblings and everything, it just, sometimes you need someone there to, to get them to <laughs> pay attention to what you're trying to get them to pay attention to and to point to things. Right. I mean, that alone, you know, makes such a huge difference.
0: Yeah, just the navigation of, the world that's based around them is huge yes yeah I, think... I mean
1: if you're yeah if you're pointing, if you are trying to get them to look at something and they're looking at a page of music you know it's like they can end up looking at the total like wrong part of it and it's just you can save so much time with a parent there to be like mm, that one <laughs>
0: yeah the, the, I mean, the pandemic and online lessons is the whole reason I created a game called Rainbow Race. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. Yes. But it was yeah. all about bars and lines or measures and lines just because kids needed to be able to at home go to a specific bar without me pointing at it. You know?
1: Yes. yeah, <laughs> And that was yeah. the
0: lack I found. But I think, I mean, I understand your hesitation in the beginning. Maybe it wasn't for this reason, but I think for a lot of us, we wanted to prove that online lessons were going to work, and so we didn't want to ask for anything special from parents. Like some teachers were dealing with phones just being placed like on the music stand, looking at the student's nose, you know, and not saying anything because we're like, "No, no, no, it's fine. It, it's all going to work." <laughs> like um, when parents, most of them, were perfectly happy to give a little bit of help.
1: yes yeah absolutely i'm sure that was a big part of it and feeling like i should be able to like control my own lessons Mm -hmm. you know but some of that usually does have to come from a parent i feel like um yeah you can't be you know the only disciplinarian (laughs) and sometimes they just won't listen to you you know there's only so much you can do
0: Yeah, and it is really hard, especially if you're five or six, to engage with a person on a screen.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's tough. Like, we have students here that have, well, one pair just met their teacher in person after having lessons online for a year and a half. Like, they had never been in the same room. And they're five and six, you know? So to them, he's just this face in a box. like. (laughs) <laughs> it must be so strange.
1: Yeah, wow. That's really cool, though, finally getting to play duets and everything.
0: Yeah, finally getting to play together. And, I mean, it was for a little performance here, so it was a it was a great moment to actually get to clap in person in real time. <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Stephen, what do you think is the biggest mistake you've made in your teaching so far? It could be something tiny and minuscule, or it could be something more broad.
1: Hmm. I think that, so when I first started teaching, I was first teaching adults and I sort of thought, well, whatever they want to play is what we should do. And to some extent, you know, that's not untrue. You do want, especially with adult students, you want to uh, follow their interests. Otherwise they'll (laughs) probably want to find someone else pretty quickly. But, but I think that having a book helped so much um just in terms of uh them being able to see their progress um and and i think that i mean i know that you have like no book sort of uh starters you know ways of starting up lessons um for the first several weeks and that kind of thing but i but but even that there's still a method <laughs> to right. it. And I think that I just was like, well, you know, whatever they want to play, we'll figure it out. And like, I just was completely naive about that. And, um, and that was several years ago now. And I found, I guess through you, I found piano safari and piano safari for the older student. And that just was everything that I needed for these students. Um, and I don't think that I would go back to, just trying to wing it ever again. (laughs) If nothing else, I at least now know the way that, that the learning tends to progress. Um, so I would, you know, in terms of technique and in terms of what is playable immediately. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think when you're starting teaching, starting without a book is probably not the way to go (laughs) because you need that structure.
0: You do, and you need to find the things even in the book that you disagree with, you know? Mm, You need to use it in order to go, this isn't right for me and my students or for this particular student or whatever. That's such a good point, though, because adult students, you need to take their goals on board, but they, even more than kids, they have to see their progress. And they won't, right? Because they don't recognize anything they're doing well, or the students I've had, <laughs> no, they just so think true. they're yeah. useless and terrible and, oh my God, kids learn this so much faster, which they don't. But kids just take it from week to week and basically go, oh yeah, I'm doing grand, you know, most of the time <laughs> they think yeah. they're fine. And adults are constantly questioning it. So you're right. You do need something that they can measure their progress against. So books are, books are useful.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you could turn back time then and talk to yourself on your first day of teaching ever, what would you say? What advice would you give yourself?
1: Wow, first teach first day of teaching ever. I, I mean, I can remember that day and how nervous I was and how I felt like a total imposter and how I, you know, literally had kind of, uh, you know, fibbed some about my experience um, to try to uh, to get students. Um, and I think, yeah, I think I would tell myself that just doing it is what you have to do, you know, you'll learn along the way. And that's, that's the only way to start, you know, is to begin and, and, uh, go slower than you think is possible. <laughs> um, right. like you break things down into smaller pieces than you think is possible. Um, and review, 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 like you can do so much more reviewing of things than you ever would imagine. Cause people like to feel successful at what they're doing. You, you don't have to, it's not a race. Um, mm. and it's not a race to prove to them that you're a good teacher. Like, I think that that's probably one of the biggest things is that I was so worried about seeming like an expert that I... I probably didn't seem like an expert because I was so nervous about whether or not I seemed like an expert. And it's like, when you, once you've been doing it for a while, then it's like, there's less to prove, I guess. Um, But that just takes time. So I guess, uh, I guess I would tell myself to be patient with myself because I am also learning.
0: Yeah. For sure. And you're right about being so self conscious, self aware, and just overly trying to do things the right way to the point where you look like an amateur because you're just (laughs) laughing around the place, right? Yeah. And trying to look like you're doing, like you know what you're doing. I mean, the example I often give is I always preferred a classroom teacher who would say, Oh, I don't know, actually, I'll look that up for you. That's a real expert who knows what they don't know and is happy to admit it. Um, so, yes, just be patient. that's great advice and take it one <laughs> day at a time and learn learn as you go. I mean, we all have to start somewhere,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: so is there anything you think people outside our industry bubble misunderstand about what we do?
1: I think that much as I believed that my teachers uh weren't doing anything between lessons or i think that there's probably a conception that we just kind of show up and just sit there and listen to music and and then say goodbye (laughs) (laughs) and then just go on with their lives it i think that people definitely underestimate how much work goes into teaching um just in all ways really just it's it's very cognitively draining and it can be and like there's a lot of you know there's emotional labor that goes into it there's it's a big uh it's i mean it's such a job it's just really really a job um and and there's a lot of fun to be had but i think that yeah people definitely uh don't always see it as the the legitimate career that it is. And that um and I'm sure that there are teachers who do just just show up and sit there. And, oh, and, there
0: are. But I don't think yeah. that's even why people think that. I think they just can only picture the lesson time. So they yeah. can imagine what's what's happening outside the lesson time or what's going on in your head the whole time in the lesson, even when you are sitting there listening to a long piece of music from yeah. time to time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there are things, yeah, sometimes I think about this when I'm, when, sometimes when a parent will point something out and be like, oh, shouldn't they fix this thing or something? And if they're there in the lesson and sometimes I'll be thinking, of course I noticed that, but like, we can't address all these things right now, like, and something, you know, some mistakes are worth correcting and some are better left for other pieces you know in the future and you know so I think that sometimes people maybe don't realize that you are aware of things and that you have a plan and that all of this is headed somewhere um yeah I think that that is probably another misconception is that you're just you're just kind of seeing what happens watching it unfold just (laughs) aimlessly
0: (laughs) yeah yeah when actually we're making all these careful choices about whether we mention that particular dynamic this time or whether we bring something else up because it's more of a priority. Yeah. Okay, final question for you. I want you to imagine a teacher out there who is somehow listening to this podcast, but otherwise they don't really participate in the whole global teacher community as we feel it. And they're feeling maybe a bit lonely, maybe a bit like they don't know whether they're doing things right, or whether they have enough qualifications, or whether they understand their business well enough, et cetera, et cetera. What would you tell that teacher?
1: I would tell them so many things, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll just focus on a few. I guess one big one is to. It's something that I worried a lot about was, was the results that I was giving and whether you know you like, people need to see results. The parents need results or something. And I think that that was part of my, my, you know, self-consciousness about being new, um, and wanting to prove myself. And, but really, I think people often don't even care as much about results as you would think, like a lot of people are much, much more patient, especially with the progress of their kids than I ever would have expected. And they're more impressed by little things than I ever would have expected. Um, like, you know, there was a time where I thought if a student didn't learn all of Charlie chipmunk in the first lesson, like if, if somehow they couldn't quite get it that I had failed and, but some kids take more than one lesson to learn even Charlie chipmunk and, uh, and often the parents were impressed even by the, you know, the couple measures that they did learn and and i never anticipated that i just i thought like if they haven't learned a whole song in their first lesson then i have like failed as a teacher um but uh and another thing i think is it's something i remind myself a lot is go slow to go fast um and just in general i mean when you think about when you're doing chores or something if you really speed up and like, try to push it to the limit of what you can do, then that's when all the mistakes start happening and you, you know, break a glass or something, and then you end up going so much more slowly than you ever would have. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I think we can really, it's okay to slow down. You know, we don't have to be turning pages every five seconds and like mastering new skills every week. Like it is all leading somewhere. Um. Mm-hmm. And then I think the, the biggest thing maybe is to be yourself because if you're not yourself, then, uh, the people who end up selecting you as a teacher, when you pretend to be someone else will probably not be happy with the person you turn out to be, but the people who do want to find you for who you are and who want, who want you as a teacher, like being yourself, uh. You want to be that in your marketing and everything so that they can find you and be super excited to work with you. And like, often when I've asked students, you know, why did you choose me? Uh, they'll say it's because of such and such things that are the things that make me, me Mm. and, and that they specifically didn't want the people who felt stuffy or, or, uh, you know, overly formal, um. So yeah, I think that you don't need to like posture and um, put on some sort of like piano teacher affect (laughs) uh, in order to attract students. I know like when you're starting out, there's a lot of, you can feel a lot of pressure to get more students quick, but I think it's more rewarding in the long run, including financially through like referrals and things to be completely yourself. Uh, in in your interviews and everything with new students.
0: Yes, and in all the messages you put out there and all your lessons. I mean, that's great advice. People often think, oh, well, I'm not bubbly, so I need to, you know, make myself more that way or "I'm, I'm not quiet and reserved enough or, you know, everyone wants to be the opposite of what they are sometimes. But you just need to, like you say, be yourself. And let that show and the and the right students will find you if you put yourself out there. That's wonderful advice to finish on. Thank you so much for doing this with me, Stephen. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. Do you love this show? then please share your favorite episode with a teacher friend who you think might enjoy it and benefit from it. If you resonated with today's story, then the Vibrant Music Teaching membership is probably a good fit for you too. Find out more at vibrantmusicteaching.com.